Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. And Freddie Soto was like, how many times have you done those The late Freddie Soto. The late Freddie Soto, not because he's black, because he's dead, um, <laughs> said, uh, you know, how many times have you done those bits? And I'd be like, you know, like 40, 50. You know, it's like I know them. He goes, oh, dude, no, not 40. You need to do it like a thousand times. He was like, you got to know when to like raise your shoulder and like, you know, step forward and raise your voice. And it's like, oh, geez. Okay, so that was good advice. All right, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard Live from the Montreal Just for Laughs Festival in Canada. Very, very exciting to be up here. Very, very excited for my guest today, Ari Shafir. We're going to have an incredible time. He is one of the most outspoken but unique and special comedians in this business, and you're going to find out why. Before we get started, I want to thank all of you so much for all of your support. It's incredible what's been happening, and it's all because of you, and we can't do it without you, and are very, very grateful. And as I look at my guest, Ari Shafir, and as I always do with all my guests, I look at them and think about what I want to say, and the biggest thing that I think about regarding Ari is the fact that he's a guy who stuck to his guns and did comedy the way he wanted to do comedy. Along the way, there were a lot of people that gave him encouragement, but as he'll probably tell you, there's a lot of people who discouraged him, told him negative things. There's a lot of comics along the way who made his path more difficult. And there were comics along the way, like Joe Rogan, who saw something in him believed in him and gave him a platform that allowed him to show the world his voice and the world has spoken. This guy is something special and something unique and something authentic. And for Ari, the biggest thing that I point to is the work ethic. It's an obsessive work ethic. It's the desire to be on stage as many times as possible and the disappointment and anger when 
something happens where you can't go on the amount of times per week that you want to in the time slot that you hope to because of various factors, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. But yet you keep forging ahead and keep pushing and keep putting the work in despite what the world says at the time you're doing it. Because when you're starting in this profession, there's not a lot of positive reinforcements. You get the shit kicked out of you on a regular basis. And when I think about Ari and his career, I think about the fact of a guy who believed in himself and never wavered and believed in his voice and believed in the kind of comedy that he was doing and was proud of it and knew that if he could put the time and the work and the effort in, that he had the kind of mind that could write the kind of stand-up that would inspire millions of people. The reason why he has no anxiety, I suspect, is the fact that he's not afraid of anybody derailing him because he believes that the things that he thinks about the world of comedy and some of the performers are so true and so powerful and so evident that there's no way that could ever come back to haunt him. And even if it did come back to haunt him, he still knows that he's got his core followers who will follow him from the comedy clubs to the theaters to the podcast to the television specials to Netflix and to his television series. And boy, have they. And so it seems quite evident and probably a reoccurring theme in this podcast is to figure out the work ethic that's going to change your trajectory. Figure out the amount of time that you're going to have to put in to get where you want to go. And when you think you're working too much, work double that amount of time. Work triple. Don't stop believing in yourself. Push forward. Have an opinion. Don't be afraid to share it. If you know and you believe in what you believe in is gospel, then don't be afraid to say it. And if you can figure out those things in your profession, chances are you'll have the possibility of having the kind of career that Ari Shafir has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You're fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. I want you to pretend that we have Dane Cook in a soundproof booth. 
He can visualize everything. He sees everything. People are showing him all videotape of everything that you're describing. And there's a true serum in his veins. But he's in a soundproof booth so he can say whatever he wants. And it's not going to ever get out. And no one's ever going to hear what his explanation is. I want you to role play and pretend you're him. Don't make a joke. Okay. Tell me what he would say as a person. Well, I'll tell you what most people don't ever do is actually say, wait, am I wrong in this situation? Like in any situation, even in parking, if I'm like, you know, took somebody's parking spot, they honk at me like, fuck you. And then on the way out, you realize, oh, I was going the wrong way down a one way. You don't like see that person go, hey, by the way, sorry about that. I realized I was wrong. You just still go, fuck that person honking at me. Even though you know the truth, you never face it. But I want you to oblige. You're saying he's facing it right now? He's facing the truth? He knows what his actions were? I don't want to say truth or false yeah that's up to the person watching so you're dane in this soundproof booth no one's going to hear what you say but there's a true serum in your veins you've observed videotape things testimonials good bad whatever And I want you. Maybe he to, took some mushrooms so we can actually like. Maybe we'll go with that. Can you take give me that? So I just want to know: Does he actually seeing himself for what he is? Like you're saying, take his ego out of the way. It's like if I show you videotape of your special. Yeah. You're going to break it down yeah, frame by frame and up. tell you where you did this, yeah. whatever, what's great, what's this, why this happened, why did this happen here. Yeah. And I want you to be Dane and tell me with a true serum in your veins what's happening and why you're doing it honestly with okay, yourself. I think what? I got it. It'd be like this. It'd be like, you don't understand, man. It's not about helping people like that. It's not about that. It's about being the wolf. It's about being the main guy. And when someone challenges the wolf's place, they have to put them down. They have to put them in their place. That's what I'm doing. These guys think they're doing better than me. I'm number one. And I'll make sure that I continue to be number one. Howard Stern does the same shit with Open Anthony, where he goes against his free speech rules in order to censor others because they're challenging him that's what dane would say if he was being real honest with himself and real like i'll tell you why i did it he's not going to say he's going to say whether it's good or bad is irrelevant i got through to that guy one time when i was like why don't you fucking call some podcast when i red bands like ice house things and he was like why don't you just call in when you know you're going to come in why don't you just call in and he was like what good would it do was somebody not going to go in if I bump something? Now they're not going to go in. I'm like, no, but I can call. And if it's a Saturday night and I'm at a party, I'll stay at my party for an extra hour. Because the laugh factory would have gotten the call and they could have called me and said, hey, stay at your party for an hour. Because Dane's coming in. And I can live my life. And he was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And for about three or four months, he didn't bump. And then I just buried it and he fucking went right back to it. So you have had impacts on people. <laughs> Short term, I think. Look, I guess hit him with some truth. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> you know what his legacy was? When his car pulled into a parking lot, a bunch of people slumped their shoulders. Yeah. And if you were him, yeah, and you visualize what's happened and what the perspective is from the comedy community. Yeah. And you had to... It'd make me sad. It'd make me sad for sure. Okay. What would the steps you'd take... I don't know if he ever cared. Maybe he did. I really didn't know him that well. He cared tremendously about what people thought. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, and good he point. had <laughs> enormous, believe it or not, 
enormous respect for Louis C.K. Oh, yeah. And I'm telling you this. I have no reason to lie. Yeah. Loved Bill Burr's comedy. Enormous respect for so many people in the business. Now, I know... Too much respect. We can both agree for Louis C.K.'s stuff. So, when you say you have respect for Dane in some aspects, one of the things I would think you'd say you have respect for, because there's two kinds of people. There's the guys who see the wolves and see the people getting better who are just like, I just can't go in there. I can't face the fact that these guys are getting better and I'm just going to take my ball and go home. Yeah, that's better, man. It's better to do that. It's better. Yeah. It's better to do that from everyone else's point of view. Yeah, fine. Go home. Don't try to fucking blow the place up before you leave. So tell me what you would do if you were faced with that situation or what advice you would give a comic to start changing the listening to where they can change the thought process of the community and start repairing and building again. I don't, it's like, I don't know. I saw Dom say it once about somebody bumping in all the time. And it's like, it's a workout town, man. LA and New York, they're workout towns. So what are you, what are you doing going on for an hour for? Do your own show. Just get a theater somewhere and do an hour. You can fill it up if you're that big. What are you doing? It's not like the reason we told you all the celebrities that like, hey, you can come on in whenever you want is 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 so that if you're passing by and you have if you're Jim Carrey and you're driving down Sunset and you see the store and you go like, you know what? Hold on. He just fucking does a U-turn and comes back. He's like, do you mind if I go on? I'm like, fuck yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll put you right on, man. That's, that's so cool. You just want to do comedy again. But it's not for like consistently just fucking over your colleagues. Just call in. Make them use a different name. Make them, don't tell anybody. Just call in. Just be like, hey, I'm coming. So your colleagues are going to get inconvenienced. You can let them know. I'm, I'm, I'm for sure coming. Not when like I might be coming, but when I'm for sure coming. Just don't, these are, that's you. That's you. You're all the same person. Just call in or go at the end. I saw Rock do that once. When I was working, I was assistant talent coordinator at the comedy store. And Duncan was gone. He was the talent coordinator. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was working the door at night. And somebody pointed to this guy in a fucking sweatsuit coming through the back of the main room. And I was like, oh. And he was all fucking bearded. And I was like, it must be like a homeless dude who walked in. And um, <laughs> so I had to throw him out. The other door guy was pointing at him like, you do it. And so then he came through and I opened the curtain. He went out on his own. I was like going to block his way. And then it was Rock. It was Chris Rock. It wasn't a homeless person at all. He was just wearing a sweatsuit. <laughs> just super racist on my part. But, uh, and so he was like, do you mind if I go on in the main room? And so I had to like stop and think. And like, first of all, unball my fist. Like, okay, I'm not throwing anybody out right now. But like, I was like, oh, usually the pop-ins. Mitzi always says the pop-ins are in the original room. So like, nobody does pop-ins in the main room. We just do, why don't you just go next door? And he goes, well, I know. I looked at the lineup, and there's the last comic on in here, and the original room still has like five left. So I just figured I would do this, and it's like, yeah, great, yeah, perfect, do it. Just a little bit of care, and then nobody gets bumped. Your other colleagues get a chance to get better. I, I don't. I just won't accept the opposite. Chappelle, yeah, consistently walks into places bumps comics and goes on for hours, hours and, and hours. nobody cares that's not true why who do, what do you mean nobody cares so you comics think, don't care you think people say the comics ne- don't care they have to wait anywhere between 30 minutes and six hours to go on you think people say negative things about Chappelle of course they do anyone who bumps it's not a secret anyone who bumps other comics all hate you 
I've never heard anybody say they hate Dave Chappelle. They hate the bumping. Nobody likes that. No. I had a spot. I'm just trying to work out. It's not about the fucking $15. The only reason I'm here today on the earth is so I can fucking get up tonight. And now I can't get up? All right, well, fucking call. Same thing with Eliza. When everyone got on her, it wasn't so much the deed she did, which was misspeak about female comics. It was that everybody didn't like her. Nobody respected her comedy. So that everyone was like, now we'll take the chance to fucking pile on you. With Dane, the same thing. People respect Chappelle's comedy. So they're like, we, we won't call you out for doing a shitty thing. <laughs> I'm calling him out. Come on, man. Don't do that shit. Just go at the end if you're going to do it. You want to hear a fun story? He was going on at the, at the cellar. Chappelle? At the cellar. Yeah. The cellar, what, uh, sometimes Jeff Ross and Tell do that thing. They, yeah. they go on together. Mm-hmm. Jeff's always like, Tell call me. He said, he sees I'm on. He's going to come on with me. Or a Tell will be on. And then he'll keep calling Jeff, like, come down, come down, come down. And so if he does that, they usually, Esty usually, usually puts uh, a Tell on second or last. And so if they do that, it tells like, do you want to switch? Because we might do like 45 minutes. And you're like, yeah, for sure. Thank you. 45 minutes of them fucking with the crowd and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, I'll go up 15 minutes earlier and then you can go do an hour. It's fine. Respect of its peers. But other nights when he's just on second to last and Jeff Ross isn't in town, Attell usually says like, do you want to switch? And it's like, no, man, it's okay. Like, there's no reason. I got the time. I can wait for 15, 20 minutes, whatever you normally do. Um, it'll make me better, you know? Um, and so the other night, he said the same thing. I came and I saw him, on the, you know, sitting there. And I was, he was like, do you want to switch? I'm like, no, it's okay as long as Jeff's not coming. I'm like, yeah, do your time. And then Chappelle walked in after that. And he goes, hey, Dave. And he goes, hey, Dave, back. You know, he goes, you're going to go on? He goes, yeah, no. And the Chappelle's like, I'll go after you. You know, he'll wait till after he's done. And he's like, cool, thanks. And I was like, oh, that's cool. It's finally some fucking respect, you know? And he goes, yeah, because it's after me, idiot, you. That's what it tells him to me. Like, oh, God damn it. That means I got to follow it. I got to wait fucking all night until who knows. <laughs> and then you get to the point where it's like, it's three o'clock. Like, oh, all right, just so you know, no matter what time he gets off now, you're not going on. It's like, oh, all right, I guess I'll leave. They pay you anyway, which is nice on their side. But anyway, so then Attell's like, now we should switch. He's going to go on after me. We should fucking do the swap you do. And I was like, yeah. And then I was like, come on, come on, put me on, put me on, put me on. And he's upstairs going, looking at the lineup, going, who's Ari Shafir? And they were like, he's on after Tell's like, well, he's about to get fucked. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and so then I'm on. He comes downstairs to see if it lasts like five minutes of, of a tell or something. He sees me and he's like, who's this? And like, it's Ari Shafir. And he goes, uh. And then I get off and Tell's on. And so he comes downstairs. He goes, oh, you're Ari Shafir? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well played. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, man. It was a good time. I had a good time up there. He goes, yeah, good job. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. All right. I want to yeah. go way, way back. Okay. Take me back to where you grew up and the socioeconomic dynamic and with your first inspiration to getting into comedy. I used to watch a lot of, like, I guess Carson and then, like, Live from the Laugh Factory, whatever that Saturday night show was. Yeah, but I saw a lot of comics there. They cracked me up. I was like, that's cool. My friend Ami Butler was like, you should do comedy. And was your family poor, the middle no, class? No, middle class, lower middle class. Got it. We faked middle, middle class, even though we were a lower middle class, you know? And so what was your first break in comedy? I mean, my first break was, was looking for the Laugh Factory, driving down to get a job at the Laugh Factory, and passing this other club that I'd never heard of. And I go, okay, well, I'll apply to that one on the way back, I guess. And you got a doorman job. Yeah, the Laugh Factory's like, we don't hire, we don't. We, don't we already comics. have Alonzo like, Bowden as our doorman. <laughs> was he a doorman there? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, they didn't really, really look at higher comics. And the comedy store was only looking to hire wannabe comics. Got and it. That's, that's all they did. So. And your first big, big break where you got a television show or something happened. That was the biggest break of my career. Rogan they, starting a podcast. That was a big break for me. That was yeah. a big break? Yeah. What do you think? What's your reputation in the industry? 
Why don't you tell me how shitty my reputation is? Because I don't know you. I've never worked with you. Well, what do you hear? Not great things. <laughs> yeah, what do you hear? You're a skeeve ball. I'm a skeeve ball. Yeah. What is a skeeve ball? Skeeve? Yeah. You know, like slimy. Like, you're, you're people, I think people think you're what, what people don't like when they think of managers. That's fair. I always thought what I want when I didn't have anybody was like, I want a fucking Jew. Some of the people I refer to as a ah, fucking Jew. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think you would fit in that category. We people go, that fucking Jew. Did I have a reputation of not getting shit done or getting stuff? Getting done? shit done. Also not paying people. Yeah. Okay. That was back in the Boston days. Yeah. I heard a lot about yeah. that. <laughs> it's a long time ago. Do you ever call those people and apologize and say, hey, I'm sorry. I got that once in my career where someone's like, hey, by the way, I missed the boat on you. Uh, I'm not gaining anything from this right now, but I'm just letting you know that I was, I was wrong about that. Yeah, I say that to people all the time, but really? it's funny. I did a podcast with Bill Burr and he just sat down and the first thing he sat down, he said, you owe me $75. Yeah, said, man. Rogan, you didn't pay for the longest time. I think he had to come down there and get it from you. With the overalls? Right, with the overalls and no those <laughs> shirt. Man, and if there are no pictures of that, please Photoshop some pictures of Joe Rogan with those Marky Mark overalls. <laughs> Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Just tell me what you think. Could be one word, a sentence, a little story, whatever it is. Okay. Yeah. Joe Rogan. Uh, the first thing that came to mind was this time in, in Rhode Island where, where some guy was, we were doing a, like a yachting club. They had Saget there too. I don't know why this is the first thing that came to mind, but it was. But um, we had just done the Faneuil Hall room. What was that one called? A Comedy Connection. Comedy Connection. Yeah. And then we tacked on two days. One in Chicopee, which... No one should ever be in. That's the hooky lounge, Chicopee. The hookah lounge, yeah, hooky lounge, yeah. It's like a 500 seat oh, People rolling up their fucking <laughs> leftover Chinese food <laughs> during your set. Somebody came up and took a picture with me while I was on stage, Barry. Somebody just went up there and was like, I want to get a picture. And then to fucking took a, not even a selfie with a cell phone, just like a, a camera. <laughs> Some lady was like, you want to see my tits afterwards? And we we're all like, no, we don't. And man, she lifted up her shirt and they were awful little snakes. So after that, they actually added in also Rhode Island, which was cool. You see all the scenery and the old houses. But on the way from the um, parking lot to this giant tent that so sat like 700 people, uh, the guy who was promoting it or you know putting on the show was like, all right, hey, so here's the deal. We're going to put you on at this time. We'll have a place for you to sit on the side. And, and uh, now you should know these, these people are a little bit more conservative. So maybe um, you know try to keep it a little clean if you could. You know, just air on that side a little. Um, and this is Rogan's reaction. <laughs> this is Rogan's reaction. You do that to me. You be the guy walking with me. I can't do a role play with you. I'm not good at that shit. What do you mean? Just be, be that guy. You've heard of that guy before. You give me <laughs> what, what, you, what you would think. The guy would say, just a normal thing. Just be like, hey, you know, try to keep it clean, you guys, as we're walking. Here we go. Hey, listen, try to keep it clean. No! <laughs> that was his reaction. <laughs> Man, he didn't even entertain the thought. It didn't even enter. He's going, I see what she's off. Stop. It was just, uh-uh. <laughs> and you know what happened that show? I got to me a little bit. I tried to clean it up. Didn't do well. Joey Diaz was as filthy as ever and killed. Rogan that never took it into account. Always killed. Too so dark. a couple of years ago, it could be argued that the most popular comedy club in Los Angeles was the Improv, followed by the Laugh Factory and the Comedy Store. Yeah. There's a change made there. They yeah. took out the guy who was working there for many, many years. The last guy to work with Mitzi. And the change was made, and they gave it to a guy who never booked a show in his life. And yeah. within a year and a half, there's a drastic change in the landscape. He decided to take Carlos Mencia out of the lineup. 
He created relationships with people again, and this comedy yeah. store is rocking with a guy who had no experience prior to taking the job. It's unbelievable. Well, he just reached out. Uh, you're talking about Fatim, Fatim Egut. Yeah. Um, uh, he, um, yeah, he just reached out to all the comics. He was like, hey, I know you're one of the best comics in the country. You're, you're, I don't know what they did before, but yeah, I mean, I follow comedy. I know who you are. Guys like Hannibal, he'd be like, hey, whatever. I don't, like, I don't care what happened before. Here's the number. Call it on Mondays if you want, you know, if you're in town. And it was like, yeah, then all the best ones came. As a comic, when you were there during the Carlos Mencia things, before the Joe Rogan fallout, before that, yeah, how did comics handle their uncomfortability with the situation? Oh, okay, I'll tell you a few things. Uh, we'd have uh, signals for each other um, for when he pulled up in the parking lot. Um uh, anywhere between like somebody really loud in the back, depending on who you were, like coughing real loud. Um, some people just go, ah, ah, and that means Carlos is pulling in. Any material you want protected, you need to stop doing it. Just do crowd work or just get off. That's another thing too. Since he would do a lot of time, steal and do a lot of time, it was uh, a double thing. So if you got off right away while he's still pulling in the parking lot, let's say you were at like 10, 11, you're not going to do material anyway because it's coming in. You don't want it gone. So like, you would say, thank you, good night, who's next? And maybe one more guy who doesn't care can get on, you know, ahead of him. So we had like signals, that's, that's a good question. <laughs> we had people, deals with the door guys, like light me immediately if you see him. You need to light me immediately. If it's at four minutes, does it matter? Light me. But obviously the comedians had the opinion that he was taking their material yeah. up. He believed when he looked in the mirror that like you said, some people say, I didn't do that. But why do you think it took so long even Joe, who's a very strong guy and believes in what he believes in, I think this was happening for years before that. Yeah. Why do you think, and I can't speak for Joe, but why do you think that night that happened? Was it something that you thought was planned out? Mencia had just gotten, he had taken over kind of Chappelle's show and he gotten a lot of popularity out of it. And um, he was going up and up and getting more and more confident. You probably saw that change in Dane when more and more people were starting to be like, hey, why are you fucking with me? You've probably seen the reports happen more. You know, once he gets more successful, you start, you start getting like, I deserve this stuff. So then he started getting more and more cocky. But before he would avoid Joe, you know, Joe was one of the guys saying like, he's a, he's a thief. He would avoid him. And now he's getting cockier. I've got this show. It's a success. And Comedy Central back then was in their height. You know, this was 2007, six, five. I don't know. That, they were like the powerhouse then, you know. And so he was feeling like I'm fucking on top of the world. And so he brought up a comic. Rogan brought up a comic, um, Kirk Fox. And he goes, uh, I love Kirk. Yeah, Fox. Kirk's great, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then uh, he, he was writing for Mind of Mencia. So he brought him up as like, this guy writes for uh, Mind of Mencia. That was like one of the nicknames people had for him. Mencia. Get it? Because Mencia. I get it. Okay, you got it. And, um, and he goes, I'm familiar with the, oh, how it works. Okay. With nicknames. <laughs> okay, cool. And, uh, <laughs> I'm in the business. I know it's hard to believe cause I'm skeevy, but I actually follow the business. Um, and he's like, yeah, he said that. And then Mencia was on in the main room at the time. Rogan had just done an hour and Mencia was on in the main room. And so he heard that and Kirk's on stage. He starts and Mencia like waited for Joe to pass. I guess he like went right in his face. And then Rogan was like, what do we want to back down from you? Like you're not physically intimidating. Like, you know? And so then he passed and went up to Kirk, grabbed the mic out of his hand, like, like a dog, just like no respect. And he was like, say that shit to my face. And he just challenged him. 
And then Joe was like, yeah, okay. And he went up to the side of the stage and they're like talking to each other until the piano guy's like, hey, Joe, second mic's on. And then he was like, oh, I got a mic now. Let's do this. And then Sears got cocky. He was like, everybody loves me. America loves me. But he didn't realize that club had just seen an hour of Joe Rogan. That audience right there had just seen a guy, a master of his craft, just perform it for 55 minutes. Like, of course, whose side were they on? Not the guy who America loved, but this guy right now. We love you. And then he was speaking the truth, too. <laughs> so it didn't go, you know, Carlos's way. But that's what it was. He just got cocky. I think. I think. I mean, I don't really know, but I think. And so I'm going to put you in the position again like I did earlier. Okay. But it's for a different reason. Yeah. And again, you mentioned Dane Cook and Louis C.K. And I just want to tell you my opinion on it, and you can tell me yours. It's okay. I don't think that a comedian should be judged on 92 seconds of material than another comic did when they've generated seven hours yeah, yeah, of material yeah. on stage. I know, stage. I know, but, but that sort of shit ruins your legacy. You know, you can bring a bunch of people closer to the Lord, but then you get one child rape, and of course that's going to be the fucking thing people remember. And Louis C.K. would sit here and say that one of the jokes, Steve Martin did that kind of joke I don't remember them per se, but it was three jokes. Yeah, from 92 the same... seconds out of seven hours here's what always happens they point to one example when they want to disprove one of these joke thieves and say that wasn't exactly i'm not disproving anything dane would steal from everybody and then he would say i'm gonna call my lawyers on you if you don't stop doing my bit i'm gonna call my lawyers on you and you're like what do you mean your bit you know goddamn well you saw me do that you took it you're gonna call my lawyers for what for what money am i making has anybody ever accused you of taking a joke nope Never once. I have gotten a couple calls or says, hey, I have something real similar to that. Um, what do you think? I've dropped three of them that I can think of or just rewritten it to where it's like, oh, cool, let me not step on your thing. All right, um, let's keep going. Okay. Conan O'Brien. Yeah, I remember I, I did Conan once. We talked after uh, afterwards about the Patriots. You know what? I saw a thing on him when, when he talked about celebrity. It's an interview. Uh, he was The reason I saw it was sloss was he said sloss is one of my favorite comics but like he he said uh afterwards talking about celebrity and the damage it could do to you thought that was real fucking clear-minded he made a lot of sense damien merlina just a comic i started with in la we'd hang out all the time <laughs> yeah yeah we used to wait in line together at the open mics at the comedy store for years do you sometimes feel bad when things go a little bit out of control like they did with that or are you yeah. always okay? And I'm okay. You stick to your guns. You're fine. But I've had a bunch of like things come at me like that. Um, as long as you're true to yourself, it's fine. I I just I don't, I don't care for people defending their art forms, especially people who haven't like taken it in. You know, who are just like I I know what it is. I've gotten upset on behalf of nothing before. I got upset at that guy who killed that lion, and then you find out like no, he got a hunting license, and they need to take down the populations of lions. Or they start killing people. And then you're like, oh, I didn't know the whole story. Sorry. The greatest yeah. advice that you ever got from a person in your profession. But, and the second part of that question but, is, tell me the greatest advice you've given somebody in the profession and who were they? I was going through my first rut. Like I was like, things weren't going as good. You know, it was like all the, all the, the, the stages that were like, oh, this should be killer crowds. or were like B plus instead. And the ones that were like, should be like mediocre. They were going like C minus. And I'm like, oh, fuck, what's, what's wrong? Just a little bit worse across the board. I couldn't figure it out. And then I asked like five different people uh, what the story was. Um, and Freddie Soto was like, how many times have you done those? The late Freddie Soto. The late Freddie Soto. Not because he's black, because he's dead. 
um, <laughs> said, uh, you know, how many times you've done this bits? And I'd be like, you know, like 40, 50, you know? It's like, I know them. He goes, oh, dude, no, not 40. You need to do it like a thousand times. He was like, you got to know when to like raise your shoulder and like, you know, step forward and raise your voice. And it's like, oh, geez. Okay. So that was good advice. Dice told me like, it's because you're not excited about the bits anymore. So you got to like get excited. He was like, look like a college basketball analyst. It's a fucking 40 point game with 10 minutes left in the, in the second, you know? They're not going to like, they're not excited, but they got to be like, wow, what a dunk. Oh, this kid's got a future. They've got to fake it. So he's like, hey, just fucking fake it. Um, Rogan gave me some good advice. He said that like, um, Rob Ushak gave me something too. Maybe he was the best, but Rogan said something like, said like, um, you've just gotten better than your material. So like you've grown, your material is still like fucking 40 sets ago. So like, you're kind of like, you don't want to do it like that anymore. Um, and he goes, you got to drop it and just move on, write something new. And then um, Argus Hamilton said, maybe stand-up's not your thing. <laughs> that was his first advice to a door guy well you know maybe Santa's not your thing not for everybody I was like oh uh, thanks man I was really just looking for a way to get through this I was looking for an excuse to quit motherfucker oh uh, that's so yeah, that's yeah. so dark yeah, wearing a fucking comedy store t-shirt trying to learn my craft I'm like have you been through this you must you must have dealt with this before I was like eh, you know maybe it's not your thing oh and then um and then uh, Bob Oshak was like, yeah, you just got to suck it up and keep going. And then it'll be gone. He said almost like, I'm paraphrasing now, but he's like, treat it like a sprain and just fucking walk it off. And tell me a comic that you saw or came up to you and asked you for advice and the greatest advice. Get up as much as you can. That's all. Just get practice in. Just get sets in. Um, yeah, that was good advice I got too. Jordy Fox was like, you got to get up more. You're getting up like twice a week gotta get it like five times a week at minimum amazing i'm so grateful very it's been nice thank you so much hey everybody thanks for listening to the podcast i want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that i worked on a few years back called i killed jfk which was unlike anything i ever did in my life it centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years was the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hitmen from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and it involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. 
And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins, the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session, barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard, and because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this, and I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money Drop that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over So it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.